description just hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher, and wouldn't you know it, I'm here with Tom. Imagine that! <laughs> Crazy. I'm here. Yeah. How have you been? Not too bad. It's uh, excellent. Another day in paradise. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say uh, living the dream because you know nightmares are dreams too. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite that bleak. <laughs> but. But it is cold, it's gloomy, it's gray, it's always rainy, it's... Yes, or or deceptively cold, because I hate looking out the windows and you see the sun shining that looks so beautiful, and you step outside and immediately your face hurts. I, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, to see, I, we've been lacking the sunshine part, which was funny because uh... I just got houseplants back into the house, and I need some light, and they're not getting any. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. You're not going to know where the good place for the for the plants are going to be if you don't have any sun to know where it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's uh, kind of a problem. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, I tell you what, the last couple of weeks I've had a chance to do a little bit of uh, movie and television watching and stuff like that. I've been p- kind of picking around a few things that have been popping up on Prime. Well, actually, the problem is yes, there's so much that by the time... I finally decided what I'm going to watch. I don't have enough time to finish it before going to bed. <laughs> that is, uh, and we've we've had this conversation in the past. It's one of the things that I kind of miss about like cable and regular television uh, is that notion. You don't have to come up with your own menu. You don't have to come up with the schedule. You watch what's there and. and it's that it's taken out of the equation, and if you decide you don't like it, you turn it off. Um, yeah, exactly. Or maybe you, you know, if you recorded it to your DVR, your VCR, because you wanted to watch it, so great. You know, you know that's there, and you're going to watch it. But yeah, when you're sitting there and you got, well, that looks good, and that looks good, and maybe maybe that one, and I can watch that one. And yeah, so you start going, it's like, well, okay, now it's been a half an hour. Which is the shortest? <laughs> there, there's that. Uh, there's also, for me, when watching, like a lot of times it, it, it's just on in the background while I'm doing other things. So it, it, it's that white noise kind of thing. So mm. half of what I have to decide what I'm watching is how much am I going to pay attention? <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it going to draw me in and distract me from what I really want to do while it's on? <laughs> or, or is it... The thing that I want to pay attention to. Um, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is it going to distract you? So you you actually want to do some work while it's on, but is it going to distract you and pull you away from whatever that work is that you're supposed to be doing? Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, and I'll just jump right in because uh, right now the one of the things that now I'm watching it week over week, and I can't wait till it's on is the new uh, series The Last of Us on HBO Max. Yeah, what do you think? I haven't uh, dived in yet. Um, 
It is an amazing series, and it's one of those... I can't speak to it from the perspective of the game player, because as most will know, it does... It was spawned off of the game called The Last of Us, uh, a zombie game. Um, however, the drama in this, the uh, the storytelling, the acting is just so amazing. And I had to even read up on it a little bit because this last episode, which was the third episode, at least at the time of the recording... Um, it involved telling the backstory of a character from the game that never had a full backstory. So they were entirely out on their own doing this, but it was such an impressive episode because it told, it told uh, a love story that does not get told a whole lot because it is about a homosexual male couple. Um, but it is just so touching and, and watching a, a love evolve in the backdrop of a zombie apocalypse, basically, was mm-hmm. just amazing to do because you had people from different walks of life. One of them is a straight-up survivalist, guns and ammo guy. He's got ever like he's been prepping for the apocalypse so he could have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> that is this character, and then he falls in. Uh, he ends up falling in love with a guy that just happened to fall in one of his traps that he set nice. so that people couldn't get into his little compound. So <laughs> the notion that he met the love of his life during the apocalypse by somebody that he almost killed himself, it was just, it was too much. So there's a lot of little tongue in cheek, but the, the, the nuance of the performance is just amazing. So hard not to get sucked in. I ended up watching that episode and uh, it was one of those uh, actually the movie that we're going to discuss tonight. I literally watched the Last of Us episode after that thinking, oh, it's 1030 at night. Um, It's only about an hour. I'll just go ahead and watch that and then I'll go to bed. An hour and a half later, (laughs) I'm like, Oh, hell, it's after midnight, but I had no idea the time just blew on by. So, highly recommend it. Uh, again, if you're if you're going to be a purist uh, about it, um, if you're a purist on the game, you might not like this as much. All right, fair enough. Well, I don't know anything about the game. I'm not even sure I realized it was based on a game, so <laughs> I don't have that baggage. There you go. Uh, in which case, uh, I think you'll find it a very effective and nicely thought out telling of what a zombie apocalypse might look like. All right, sweet. A uh, couple of films that I've been watching, uh, not zombie uh, apocalypse, but took place after the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a couple different names. <laughs> you'll find it on IMDb is Darwin Okay. from 2016. It's on... Amazon Prime is 2149 The Aftermath which honestly makes it sound like a sequel. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this film takes place in, in the future after some sort of a, a war or global catastrophe and everything and everyone is everyone lives their lives inside these habitats uh by themselves. Okay. And their only contact with the outside world is through their computer. 
uh, you know, there any any kind of communication, any work, everything's done remotely. Honestly, you feel like it was done in 2016, but this you feel like this was someone's idea after spending, you know, two years working from home. Right. <laughs> during the pandemic. Yeah, like all <laughs> I hear you doing describing is 2020. <laughs> yes, I know. So it was a little little prescient, maybe. But um, but the story is about this one this one young boy who has been spending the last nine years of his life inside this thing in, in, in solitude. And he's forced to go outside because a, a lightning strike damages his, his pod, his habitat. Yeah. And so he has to finally venture outside and he discovers that the air is not poisoned. Like, you know, the, the supposed authorities have been saying that it was. And he goes out on kind of like an, an exploration and ends up uh, finding a, a group of people living in the forest. And uh, I don't really know how much to say about it without kind of giving too much away about it. Yeah. I, it's just obviously it was probably done at a fairly low budget. I don't know if it was entirely independent or if it was just small studio or whatever. It was shot really well. The acting was really good. There's a few things that it was just um, because the plot needed it to be so you know, moments. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of things they, I thought they really did right. And I was just, I think in the end, it couldn't quite stick the landing for me to say, wow, this was really good. But as far as just kind of a, a, a low budget, never heard of it before film, I thought it was kind of interesting. Hmm. Okay. So. Maybe worth uh, worth checking out for a few people. Uh, the other apocalypse film I watched was Love and Monsters from 2020. Any chance you've seen this one? That is one that I've been meaning to get back to to watch it. I have not seen it yet, though. Okay. Uh, yes, absolutely recommend it. It's it's light. It's a fun fair, you know, and it'll make you want one of these dogs that they have in the film. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this dog just just seems like it would be the absolute best dog in the world. So, yeah, it was an Australian Kelpie. I've never heard of an Australian Kelpie, but now that I've seen one, it's like, how how does the world not just have Australian Kelpies? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that you posted about that when you watched that one. Yes. No, absolutely. I, I would if you have not watched yet. That was one I would definitely recommend. Definitely put that on the list. I watched one called Dark Was the Night from 2014. Okay. I wasn't sure what to expect because uh, it was a, another horror film that I'd never heard of. But it ended up being a pretty good little monster flick. It was, uh, again, just small budget, uh, pretty good cast, and really smart in that they did a great job of keeping the monster from being seen mm -hmm. you got flashes in the shadows and that sort of thing until the until the very end there is a big reveal in the end that I'm not entirely <laughs> sure you know I've, I've, after all the anticipation i don't think anything could really be as good as what you would like <laughs> i think i will probably do like a five minute review so i can go into a little bit more details on this one yeah but it was, it's definitely one that I would recommend. I'll just bring it up here and then and look for a five-minute review coming up in the next, uh, you know, two, three weeks or something like that. 
No, that'd be cool. But yeah, it's one of those, uh, if you effectively use your mo- monster up to a certain point, but you're in still kind of the low budget range, if you got to bring out your monster, it's probably going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. There is a couple of news stories, but do you, is there anything else you've been watching? For- uh, oh, to uh, harken back to our recent uh, time hop uh, and the use of Freebie, um, I've found that on Freebie, um, you can watch the entirety of Night Court. And I'm actually kind of sorry you told me this, because that is a rabbit hole I will fall deep into. It's kind of hard not to. Uh, but no, of all things, uh, yeah, my son and I tried the new Night Court, which again is not is not bad. It's going to be one of those where might need to find its feet, but it, it, it's pulling from some of the magic that was uh, uh, the original Night Court. John Larroquette being on the show helps. Um, oh, oh, is he? he uh, is. I like actually like a, a regular uh, appearance. Uh, he he is a permanent cast at, at least as oh. of this season. Yes, he is a. Nice. Okay. Not, he's not. It's not a cameo. He actually is in the series. Nice. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. He's essentially being. Um, the premise is that um, uh, Harry Stone's daughter um, ends up becoming the Night Court judge, um, and she goes out and she's trying to build the team because much like in the original Night Court. The people keep changing out quite a bit, especially early on in the uh, series, uh, which would be how that would work in a court setting anyway. Uh, but as the and I don't know how night court is really supposed to work as a thing, but she's trying to pull together a team and she goes out looking for Dan Fielding, who she knew was friends of her father. And tries to convince him to come back, but in this case, not to come back as uh, a prosecutor, because that's not how that works, but he can be a public defender. So he mm. has to change the size of the aisle, which is part of the thing that's kind of fun in the, the first uh, several episodes, as he's trying to find his feet to be a public defender when that's not really where a Dan Fielding's head lives <laughs> Right. Oh, that should be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, it's good to know. It's good. It's good to know that the new series is actually. It sounds like, yeah, like you said, it's it just sounds like shot. it needs a. Yeah, it's worth a shot. It sounds like it needs to uh, just find its legs, and hopefully, it gets a chance. Well, and, and it's a little fun too, because uh, and it is a little off-putting for some of the people that are watching it. But Melissa Rausch is the headliner on this, and she played a character on Big Bang Theory. She played um, Bernadette, the squeaky voice. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> the thing of it is, is the, the vo- she was doing a voice for the entire run of Big Bang Theory. That high-pitched right. voice of hers is not her voice. <laughs> nice. Good. So when you see her in Night Court and she's speaking with her normal tone... It's throwing people off because <laughs> she's got far deeper voice than that little girl looks like she should have. <laughs> so, That's great. So yeah, it, it, it's a little, it's a lot of fun on there. But uh, because we watched it, I took my son to watch uh, uh, the old Night Court episodes, and, and for me, forever. Uh, the character Bull Shannon just totally makes Night Court. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
Richard Mall's amazing, and, and knowing that he's actually still out there in the world, I'm kind of hoping at least a cameo, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta have him. You have to have him come in and do a guest appearance. I wouldn't even mind because uh, we haven't even gotten that far in in watching the old reruns. Um, really love to see maybe a Brent Spiner uh, return as as Bob <laughs> Wheeler. Yes. Hello, there, Your Honor. There, there's oh. so many good little nuggets that one could still manage to pull in if they so choose, and I'd like to think they're they're probably trying to hang on to those for a little later if they can do them at all. Isn't John Aston still with us? Um, I think so. Yeah. Well, that'd be like this woman's grandfather, right? I mean, I don't know if he can still act. I don't know. I, I, I don't yeah, know I, what kind of. I don't know what his health is like, but that would be cool. No, that would be cool. But uh, yeah, I know it's a shame Marky Post has passed. Um, oh, absolutely! It would have been fun to bring her back in some fashion. Like I said, these are all what ifs. They're fun to think about. I don't know if they'll do them. I don't know if they'll resist that trying to make the series their own. True. Since John Larroquette's already in the show, I don't know if they want to play that up too much, but you never know. Yeah, no, fair enough. Oh, I thought of something else that I'd watch, and this was actually what most recently to the time of recording. Do you remember the film from 2000 called Supernova? I do, actually. Yeah, I watched that just because it kept popping up in the prime as you might like, you know, sort of thing. And I'm like, eh, all right, fine, I'll give it a shot. How the hell did that film get a PG-13 rating? There's more nudity in that film than I've seen in a lot of rated R films. <laughs> I, I guess it just... Maybe they were asleep at the wheel that day. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. That was a bit surprising. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, maybe it's just not sexy nudity. Oh no, it's it's yeah, no, it's it's there for for the sex appeal. Mm, okay. Um yeah. Outside of that though, that film is that film is just like a whole bunch of of half-baked ideas kind of smashed together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently it it went through production hell. There's a people a couple people commented I posted that I was watching it. They said it ended up with like four directors or something like that. It, the mark of quality. <laughs> yeah, it just had a had a rough time and maybe that's that, that's what's coming through cuz yeah, there was definitely some stuff that just sort of like of course you did. <laughs> I just had a flashback on um on the Mystery Science Theater episode where they did, um, uh, what was it? Uh, um, the one with Sean Connery's brother. Oh, right. Uh, double, double O seven yeah. or whatever. Operation Kid Brother. Yeah, it had Operation a bunch of names. Operation Kid Brother was uh, at least the, what they were going by. Um, but no, I just remember during the opening credit sequence when, when they go and there's, uh, there's four screenwriters. Oh, yes. And Crow just goes, that's the mark of quality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this film, Supernova, I mean, the really great cast, but for very different movies. 
I mean, when you're you're putting you know James Spader, Angela Bassett, and Lou Diamond Phillips in the same film. What yeah. was there a car crash? I mean, <laughs> there was a thought in there somewhere. It's not a bad movie. Yeah, but it ain't good. <laughs> Uh, and now we have our sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's our new rating metric. <laughs> the only other thing that I wanted to bring up that I've watched is I watched the final season three trailer for Star Trek Picard. Oh, yeah. No, I managed to catch that, too. Yeah. It's going to be the best next generation episode ever. I know, right? <laughs> I think I actually even saw one of the cast members, I forget who it was, posted the trailer and said, Star Trek, you know, the last generation or something <laughs> like that. Is that... Very cute. Um, yes. Uh, I'll admit, uh, and, and I guess they had been waiting to kind of do that as a reveal, um, and only because I follow all things Enterprise, um, that... There was the flyby of Enterprise F in in the trailer. Oh, is that yeah, sure. Is that what that's supposed to be? Yeah, when you see the the fleet fly in, um, mm-hmm. the um, the one that looks uh, you have to know more about the design, but the the one that looked it looked a lot, a lot like a it looked a lot like E, but just bigger, <laughs> streamlined, more streamlined. Yeah, yeah, pointier nacelles. Actually, I I have a little I have one of those eagle mosses of uh, Enterprise F here, like literally above me at the moment, um, mm. and it it's called an Odyssey class, and it it actually has a whole second starship that fits into the back of it. Oh, um, and it has a dual neck design, so the saucer section is actually attached by two. Um, oh, interesting. P- and then. It's actually open completely underneath that. So, um, it, but what's en- entertaining about this in particular, uh, and I could geek out all, all over the place on just that stuff, but uh, that ship was designed for the Star Trek Online game. So to have that actually brought into a live action essentially renders it canon, and that's... that's n- really a nice touch that that game became so popular and had so many cool designs for ships that those ships are now making appearances in the actual shows. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking, I, I just Googled some images for it trying to get a, a grasp of what you were saying. That it, it's not a design that I dislike. No, it, it, it's a little easy on the eyes. Um, the part, it's kind of like a, uh, it's like an almost like a really big, cooler voyager yeah and everything's everything post voyager started to take on that more wedge shape anyway so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah no uh that the fact that they use that uh there's um i haven't watched enough of prodigy i understand another version of voyager makes its way into prodigy yeah um but at any rate uh yeah, no, it's a really neat design. Uh, where it loses me a little bit is if you go deeper and start looking at, like, bridge configuration. The bridge is just absolutely enormous. Um, gotcha. And it's kind of almost too big. Like, it gotcha. doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm not crazy about the 
pointing pointing the cells. I'll admit it. I don't like kind of like come to a point in the in the end. The cells. I mean, they're they're the engines of the ship. They just seem like they should be bigger. <laughs> well, the, it's funny that you mentioned that because even in the game, at some point, uh, the F goes through a series of attacks that uh, render it in bad shape, and it goes through a refit, and it gets different nacelles on the refit. Yeah, well, there you go. And it might be more to your liking, because one of the, um, I think the upgrade involved uh, uh, little flares at the back of the nacelles that were reminiscent of some of the, like, the original series. You could see that occasionally they changed the shape on the nacelle at the back, Mm -hmm. and it had a little effect of like that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, cool. No, I'm not uh, not sorry if we uh, see that ship flying around a little bit. Yeah, I just, uh, it, since it won't be the ship that they're on, it won't have a whole lot of focus. It's yeah. just going to be more there so you can go, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm looking at these images and now I'm I'm really missing the days of uh, plastic models. You know, where's, where's my AMT? Right. Uh, Star Trek model, yeah. yeah. Well, you, the, you can order it. It still exists. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the Eagle Moss, not the same thing. No, 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 not Eagle Moss. You can still order the original molds. <laughs> no, I was talking about this ship, not... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Not, there's no Eagle... Yeah, there's no uh, AMT uh, of uh, this. No. At least not uh, yet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it should be an interesting watch. Uh, actually, one of the things uh, along the ship line, too, is uh, the uh, they're going to end up on a different version of the Titan. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll be curious because it looks more like it's built around what we would have seen in the, um, the original series movie follow-ups. Okay. Yeah, uh, the 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 layout, the hull look, and all that, and even the nacelles—they look like something more out of Enterprise A kind of era than interesting than Enterprise F era. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll get more explanation, and I can't wait because I mean, what we're what two weeks out from that starting? Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to. Picard and you know this will be the final season of the show which I think is appropriate I think they've had their chance to tell the little stories it's time to end it I think well yeah I, I love Patrick Stewart but yeah I think he's getting a little long in the tooth to, yeah, to be gallivanting around the universe yes absolutely I, I had that thought watching season two it was just like boy he's looking old <laughs> I'd like the uh, but I'd like the uh the entire series to end with him doing some light archaeology work with Vosh. Yes, there you go. <laughs> they have their little white picket fence, a uh, little setup right outside of some archaeological dig that the both of them are doing, and they, they can bicker over whether or not they're going to dig it up and sell it or put it in a museum. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> See? I've written the whole thing for you. <laughs> well, I think that does it for me as far as what I've been watching. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Oh, I think that will do for now. We really ought to get to the show. Yes, we really should. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. And then when we get back, we are going to dive into 1995's Waterworld. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> 
you like small town mystery, crazy news, and wild history, then the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast is for you. Each week, Josh Mills and Wayne McCarty bring you the absolute best Florida has to offer. So if you're looking for a show that's safe for the family, but funny enough to help you escape everyday life, then listen to the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast. That's Florida Men, plural, on Florida Man podcast. Ice caps have melted, and the earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. What did you see out there in your 15 lunars? Such as? An end? An end to all this water? You're asking the wrong person. Pure dirt. So what's the word? We trading or not? And the human dream is the search for a mystical place called dry land. It doesn't exist. How can you be sure? Because I sailed farther than most have dreamed. I've never seen it. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. A straight line leading directly, directly to dry land. Dry land is not just our destination, but it is our destiny! Universal Pictures presents a world unlike any you have ever seen. Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn. Waterworld. Waterworld, directed by Kevin Reynolds and co-written by Peter Rader and David Tuey. In the distant future, the polar ice caps have melted and flooded the world. What remains of civilization live live on floating communities or travel the endless ocean on boats, long forgetting about living on land. Dry land that may exist somewhere has become a myth. A lone mariner visits one of these atolls to trade and it is discovered that he is a mutated human with webbed feet and gills behind his ears. In classic Salem witch hunt style, the citizens condemn him to death. But while the sentence is being carried out, a group of pirates called Smokers, using petroleum-powered boats and planes, attack the atoll. The mariner is rescued by a woman and a young girl and escape. Enola, the young girl, possesses a tattoo that is said to be a map to the mythical dry land. And Deacon, the leader of the Smokers, wants that map at all costs. This, at the time, was the most expensive film ever made. That of course has been surpassed by now, but oh yeah, it was a uh, it's something to behold in 1995. According to trivia, the production was originally shopped to Roger Corman, oh, who turned really? it down because there is no way he could make it for uh, less than five million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they should have let him give it a shot. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it would have fit because 
I watched this film and I thought, you know what? This is a really great 1980s action movie filmed in 1995. <laughs> right. It's Mad Max. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And even the, the, the writer and everything even said that Mad Max was an inspiration for the film. And it's like, really? <laughs> Gosh. Inspiration would have never guessed. to rip off tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were both saying that the or was this one where it was a um no it was, a, it was this was a first time watch for me. I think I'd seen bits and pieces, but I've never watched this all the way through. Yeah, the, this would be a first time intentionally all the way through beginning to end. I Right. I've caught enough of it to gotten the gist. Um even seen the 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 ending sequence uh so okay. I already knew what I was getting into, but <laughs> Now, and just to be clear for everyone, that we saw what I think was the uh, the version that was uh, widely uh, distributed as a direct, it, it, or widely distributed as the home video version, which is a little two hours and 15 minutes, I think, yeah. was the runtime. Yeah. Apparently, the original theatrical version was closer to three hours. Yes and no. Uh, apparently, the theatrical version did get cut back to... Uh, um, 120 minutes. Okay. But yes, there there is the essentially the director's cut, which is 257. Okay. So two, we did not two hours 57 minutes. Right. Yeah. We we did not watch that one. I, I I wasn't aware of the longer version, and I don't know if I could have found it from the library or wherever we were looking. Uh, if, if I wanted to. And honestly, I don't know if I'd want to. I'm not sure. Supposedly, and we'll get into this when we get towards the end, when we get to some of the social medias and everything, supposedly that is a ver- is the version to watch. The long one? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I honestly think it, this could be an hour and a half movie. <laughs> <laughs> it it, it kind of could, at least in the version that we watched. There must be something magical in that missing hour that... Yeah. So yeah, I so think we'll caveat our conversation. If that one is the uh, rosebud of the <laughs> of the water world pieces, then we missed it, and we are sorry. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Perhaps sometime I will uh, up, dig up a copy of this and of this longer version and watch it and try to see if I enjoy it a little bit more than this one. But that's not to say I didn't... Uh, I don't know. Did I like this film? That's a toughie. Yeah, see, if you had to ask it like that, the chances are the answer's not really. Yeah, no. No, I I, I really did. And you're talking about time you can't get back watching some movies sometimes. I really feel like oh, this is two hours that I could have been spending better and, and what's a shame about this is this, it's, an, it's an interesting concept. It, 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 this is the first time that somebody actually went post-apocalyptic that was a direct result of nothing more than we've ruined our world and and our polar ice caps melted and drowned the entire <laughs> the, the, the globe, which yeah, I'm like, that's not a perspective that most po- post-apocalyptic movies take place. 
And then I get why it ended up being as expensive as it was when you literally have to do everything out on open water. That gets difficult. <laughs> yeah, I was reading about some of the uh, trials and tribulations of doing so. Uh, for one thing, they, um, I think they were, they were bouncing back and forth between doing the filming in, in Australia or Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And they chose Hawaii because it was the summer, whereas, you know, winter down in, in Australia. But because it was summer in Hawaii, they had to deal with uh, hurricanes. Yeah. And they actually, the like, one of the sets was entirely destroyed due to a storm, and they had to rebuild it. And that all, all practically doubled the budget. Right. Again, when you... And, and I guess this is one of those things where I, you almost have to give it kudos for the attempt. Yes, oh, absolutely. The, because it still predates decent CGI by uh, at least another decade. Um, the notion that you have to do all this practically out on the water does add us a little something to it. No, that is absolutely true. A very good point. Um, I also read that because they're out on the water, they, of course, had to ferry people back and forth from the from the island yeah. to the set. And then they had to build it so far out and they had to be very careful about where they put the camera to make sure that you couldn't see land anywhere. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just an amazing... Um, it really is an amazing accomplishment that they are able to get this film done at all. So, yeah, maybe it's a little rude of us to, to, to bash it because, like you like, like we've said on many reviews, uh, especially when we're talking about like some of the independent films and stuff, they managed to get this thing made. <laughs> they, they did, and, and, and that was the uh, talk of the day. I even remember this back in 1995. Um, the, the notion that Kevin Costner sunk his own wealth into getting this thing finished. I read $22 million. Yeah, like, yeah, n- nothing to sneeze at. He put in easily 10% of this film's budget himself. Yeah, yeah this was apparently, uh, this was film, the original uh, story idea started going around Hollywood in the mid-80s. And it just took literally a decade of floating around and passing from one hand to another to fall into the right hands. And it was something where Kevin Costner got a hold of it and went, Oh, this is interesting. I'd kind of like to do this. And that's probably the only reason this thing got done at all. Cause at the time Kevin Costner was a pretty big star in the mid nineties. Yes. No, uh, and it needed, it needed a star. Otherwise this was just going to be a, a, a cheap, post-apocalyptic film made by Roger Corman. <laughs> I kind of want to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of do too. Because uh, <laughs> let, let's get into some of the story of this film because that's we can praise it for its technical prowess all we want. Yes. Um, but it kind of falls apart when you start getting into the actual story such as it is the characters such as they are <laughs> logistics of anything yes um yeah it, this is not a movie where if you think about it too much it, like I, i'm just gonna pick on it outright uh 
are baddies. The smokers. The smokers. Yes. Um, if you pull at the thread of where the hell did they get all the cigarettes long enough so that they could get the reputation as the smokers? I understand if you came across a cargo ship that had a ton of cigarettes, but you have this entire giant little city that you've set up on, on the Exxon Valdez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which... We can get into that later if we want. <laughs> but the point is, is you've got all of these people that, that this this bad guy, ha, our, our deacon, has pulled in to do that. And that they've become the smokers because he keeps providing them with smokes. But you well, live in a world where you don't have access to tobacco. So whatever you've got in the boxes from whatever you've recovered is it. That's that. Yeah. I took it that they were called smokers because they were using the petroleum-driven machines that spewed out a lot of smoke. I don't think it was necessarily just because of the cigarettes. I think you missed that boat on that one. I think it's absolutely because they all smoke. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But that is a very good question. That was the whole point of him just chucking cigarettes to everybody at all times. Yeah. They all smoke. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good question. Is where the hell what what the hell are they smoking? Because land is at a premium. I don't know that you're going to waste it on tobacco. No, no. And so anything that they still have would have had to have been made decades ago, mm-hmm. if not a yeah. hundred. Like we don't know where we are in relationship to when the world drowned. Yeah, that is probably my biggest question: is how much time has passed. I've seen it written that this is the year 2500, but the story doesn't hold that up. Mm-mm. For one, I mean, the obvious is it would take more than a few thousand years to mutate a man into having gills. There is that. To which he doesn't actually live in the water. Right. And the time that it would take to do that would be too long for everyone else to have all the remnants of the modern society laying around, like labeled bottles of whiskey and cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, the, the, at one point, Deacon's got a bottle of Jack Daniel. Right. That that didn't survive a million years or whatever it would take for you know the human race to start mutating to live in the water. It wouldn't have lasted the 500 plus years. <laughs> yeah. No, likely not. So, yeah, uh, you pull at some of these threads and it starts falling apart in a hurry. Yeah, and the one that most everyone always brings up is that the idea of the ice cap melting and flooding the world is completely preposterous. Right, yeah, that, that's not enough to, to flood the entire globe. No, uh, if you were in the Midwest, you'd probably have a little shorter drive to the ocean, Right, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they've always said, yeah, coastline would recede quite a bit, but but it wouldn't uh, envelop the entirety of all continents everywhere. Yes, all all except for Mount Everest, which becomes a uh, island paradise. Yes, yes, uh, a truly picturesque island paradise. Yes, to which there is no satisfaction in the finding of it. No. <laughs> And even how they found it, you know, it's Waterworld, but the end of the film, thank God for Phineas Bogg and his flying contraption. Uh, you know. Right. 
<laughs> but if I can, let, 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 let's segue into the characters themselves. For instance, yes. our hero is probably the driest. For being on water, he is the driest goddamn character. <laughs> yeah, the yes, Kevin Ke- Kevin Costner is the mariner, uh, the anti-hero, as he's uh, credited. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the guy's got no personality. No, and I get that he's supposed to he's supposed to be this loner, this lone this lone wolf guy out on the water taking care of himself in a world that where literally everyone will stab you for whatever you have that's use, useful. Um, but given that that's who he's supposed to be, I get that he's supposed to be the the lone wolf character. Uh, Living in this land, but then it doesn't. I, I get that he still has to interact with people to to do anything. But given that you've built what little effort we put into any sort of character development for him, it doesn't make sense that he would ever break character and try to become the softer guy later. So. Watching him try to be that guy was almost painful. Yeah, there wasn't really any true motivation for him to suddenly, oh, I'm going to be nice to this little girl, and I'm going to risk my life to save this little girl and this woman, and why? Well, yeah, and it's not like, and this is where you would have to put some either direction, acting, story, whatever, but... There was nothing endearing about the woman and the little girl that would have allowed me to believe that he should have softened his heart to them. Um, No, you needed some backstory for him. Even if it was just, you know, somewhere in his trimaran, there was a a photo of or something of him and a wife and child that he's lost or something like that. Um, Again, that doesn't really work if. If, it's, if this is the year 2500 and civilization's been destroyed for thousands of years, you can't have that, but... Well, and then if you want to continue to tug at terrible threads, but, I mean, if, uh, if he's a mutant that now has the ability to swim better... He's essentially Aquaman. Yes. Uh, so, where's the wreck rest of his aqua society he didn't come from nowhere um yeah that's true he couldn't have been the first one his parents had to have had some elements of right these mutations and since people are familiar with mutations um that means there's more out there so why is he doing like like i said we don't have any backstory we don't know why He's choosing to live like this if he could live in a completely different way. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. With people that, you know, him and these other mutants, these that could live underwater, they could go into one of these, you know, the, these flooded city remains and live a perfectly normal life, never having interacting with anybody. Right. He doesn't have to be out there scraping away like that. And no. I mean, we, we get to witness how he catches food which means he's perfectly capable of living indefinitely under his own skills off of the uh, the creatures that do exist in this world. He doesn't need to be above the water at all. 
<laughs> right. He definitely doesn't need to go to these trading posts. No. I mean, what is he trading for? Exactly. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we got the unceremonious answer to how he gets fresh water. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. That's how this film opens is Kevin Costner peeing into a jar. Yep. <laughs> so uh, with that as our lead, but if, if that's how he's getting his water, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, still, what, what's, it's not like he's pulling in to get fresh water. Um, he, but he actually is. That's another thing, too. It, it, so he can breathe underwater, but he still needs fresh water. And does he still need, like, because he had, like, a, a like a lime plant. Yeah, so does so he, he still needs, need vitamin C and stuff? Yeah, he uh, needs nutrients to, to, to keep his body going. But, I mean. Yeah, it's just, it's a very strange mutation that the only thing you get is the ability to breathe underwater. But you're still limited by everything that every other human Oh, and don't forget with. the ugliest version of webbed feet that I've ever seen on ever. Yeah, why why does webbed equal slimy? <laughs> why does webbed equal well I know the answer to this since it's prosthetics, but why did webbed equal fat? <laughs> like his feet were thick. You're right. And I get it, it was prosthetics, but it did you know, like, like, dude, put some shoes on. <laughs> Right. Well, he he had boots that the guy wanted, but it's like seriously, if you saw his feet after he took those boots off, I don't think I'd want to wear them. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> those are yours, pal. <laughs> yeah. To which, why did he even want or need or care about the boots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, this is you can't, and we are putting it under a microscope, but. If you enjoy this film at all, the minute you think about it for more than five seconds, it all falls apart. Oh, absolutely. Uh, continuing the cast, you know, the next big star here is Dennis Hopper as the Deacon. Who is probably the saving grace of the film. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> I feel like everybody else was taking this film seriously. Everyone else went into this film to work for um, Kevin Reynolds. Dennis Hopper came into this film thinking he was going to work for Roger Corman. (laughs) But given the ridiculous nature of this film and how it didn't seem to really pan out for what I think it was hoping for, um, he sits as that sore thumb in the, in the middle of all of this. And so I, I chose to latch on to the, the one person who was in the film also not taking it seriously like I was. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like he came straight from Super Mario Brothers <laughs> in, from ni- in 93. And he just went, so you want me to be Goomba with an eye patch? You know... <laughs> Uh, that's probably accurate. The thing of it is, is we don't know that the director didn't go, yeah, that's exactly the vibe I'm going for. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just... When you've only got one person chewing the scenery, it just... It, I don't think it really works. It doesn't for me. I, I didn't like him in this film at all. Oh, no. 
No, but like like you're pointing out, he's the only one that pops. Like at least you can tell he he's there and he's at least trying to have some fun with this. Everybody else is so grim and so flat and, yeah. and so unlikable. At least I could laugh at some of the stuff that he's doing. Yeah, the only character might actually be considered okay was probably the little girl. Yeah. Uh, Tina Majorino was the actress yeah. playing Enola. She was kind of, you know, a, appropriately cute, I guess. She did an okay job, but in this film, boy, that just ain't enough. <laughs> well, no, and I don't know if they were ever, like, they needed a child. I don't know if they thought out how they wanted the child to behave. Or what was her backstory at all? I wonder if that's something else that got lost in the uh, in, in remains in like the longer version is at the end of the film, we find out that she came from Dryland. Right. Did I get up to get a drink or something where that was explained that she was found somehow or something? Um, they, they allude to it later. Like when, when the character Helen explains that she's not her mother, um, they, I think you were supposed to, um, really envelop yourself in this film and realize when a child says they can't swim in a world full of water, that maybe she didn't come from water. Okay. No, I, I, I got that. It's just, I don't know if that helps in any way. Like, like I, I got that they're saying, yeah, there is land somewhere. They might all think it's mythical. But yes, there is land somewhere. I don't know why the little Japanese symbol on the back translates into a map when you're on an entire planet of water. Um because this is a part that they missed, too. They don't share how they navigate. The only way to navigate in a world like this where you also don't have any technology beyond maybe a gasoline-powered motor means you have to navigate by star. Right. Um, and they made no effort to kind of show that that was a thing that people were going to have to do. Mm-hmm. This... This movie really wanted to get into its action stuff so badly that it forgot that you kind of have to tell us what's going on and where you are and how this works. Right. I mean, the closest we got is towards the end when they, they're back in their weird-ass airship and the guy takes one reading from, like, a sextant and says, oh, it must be the other direction. Yeah. That was the okay. first time we got any na- sense of navigation out of any of that. Yes, no, absolutely. But, but yeah, like, uh, um, picking on the technology, like, his trimaran is amazing. Like, I want one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Custom-made trimaran. Yes. It actually would do the stuff you saw it do. Which is awesome. How did he get it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good point. He didn't build that. He, he didn't build that. It, it might... I, one could maybe almost assume he stole it, but again, he's a fish man. He doesn't even need the damn thing to begin with. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, he obviously he didn't build it, 
but it had to have been built. It can't be 5,000 years old. No. Where is the manufacturing? Right. <laughs> I mean, everybody's pulling from old tech. Anything that was left that's either above water or that they could get to through simple diving. Yeah, I mean, even even the idea of the smokers, I mean, they have planes. Yeah. They have boats with, like, V8 engines strapped on it. Where the hell did this shit... They, they happened to find just a tanker that hadn't sunk that, you know, was carrying a bunch of auto parts from Toyota? Well, that's the thing, yeah. If you're to assume that the, the flooding essentially took place in the 20th century at some point, because that seemed to be where all the technology left off. Right. There isn't a boat alive that would still be floating around 500 years later without major care. Right. There has to be some sort of manufacturing. I. It's just weird that they have this this world where society has effectively or civilization has effectively collapsed. Yes. But yet it relies on everything that you would need a civilization to produce. Right. And, and you have to have the constant stream of people in the know to keep these things up. And, and this is where you get into that Mad Max vibe and people kind of forget what things were supposed to do and all that, which is why they treat things oddly when you get there. But again, it, you, I need a little something more than just accept that it's here. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why you just you're you talking about people forgetting what things are. I just I'm imagining that stupid uh that stupid uh, seagull in uh, the little mermaid. It's a cadiddle hopper. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's essentially this. Everything is just something that they don't know what it was. And, and or when they come across things um like all the stuff that he keeps in his hold, when when the character Helen sees some of that, and he, she's like, you can't possibly have gotten some of this from some of the places. And that's where we end up on our otherworldly adventure, uh, where we go beneath the seas, which I don't even want to get into how the hell that worked. <laughs> but, no, the, apparently also in Waterworld, physics stops working. Yeah, but as he takes her to an, a city that is... It's not that the polar ice caps have melted, but somehow the globe has produced more water than there has ever been on the planet. Because cities aren't just underwater. They're miles underwater. <laughs> yeah, I think someone... I think they point out that some of the buildings that you see uh, place this as Boulder, Colorado. Oh, God, we're supposed to be that far inland and that deep down? Yes. Yeah, no, the, the, somehow we got hit by a comet that had essentially the moon's worth of water <laughs> <laughs> and just dumped it all over us. So maybe that's it. I, I solved it. This That was the answer to where all of this happened. I saw some bit of trivia. I forget who it was that suggested it, but someone wanted to put a second moon in the sky to suggest that what happened was uh, gravitational versus environmental. Mm. Which would make actually even less sense, honestly. Uh, it, it, that, it sounds like big oil. 
<laughs> yes. We didn't do this. <laughs> Why are you picking on the Exxon Valdez? <laughs> right. And, and, and then, of course, I had a... Why is it still floating? They fixed it. The Exxon Valdez is actually still sailing. Um, or oh, I don't know if it's still sailing now, okay. but it changed. they changed the name of the ship after the accident. Uh, see, I didn't do my history on Exxon Valdez. I just picture it with the big old hole in the side. And, like, yes, why is no. that still above water? No, it was, it was repaired. Uh, they changed the name, and I think it actually changed the name a couple times. Um, I'm not sure if it's still sailing. But yeah, yeah, it existed uh, beyond 1990, whatever it was, the big disaster. But yeah, as you watch this thing, it's just kind of, it's hard not to laugh at it a little bit, except you know you're not supposed to because it's not supposed to be taken that way. Right. It's not supposed to be a comedy, but yet it is unbelievable. And this is where I begin to feel bad for Kevin Costner, not only was he not good in this, um, but, but he spent an awful lot of his money. Kevin Costner went through a period where he was just really dead set on doing a post-apocalyptic film. Um, I prefer The Postman over this. I haven't seen The Postman. Uh, oh, all right. Yeah, well, it's one of those... I know what Kevin Costner is known for. I actually haven't watched a lot of them because anytime I get started watching, I like start to nod off because for supposed to be a pretty boy leading man, I don't find him all that charismatic. I actually, yeah, now that you've, you, you, you say that, I'm trying to run through my heads all the Kevin Costner films that I'm seeing. I'm trying to think, okay, let me think of one film that I really enjoyed him in. Um, Outside of the Postman, which I, I'm one of the people that will uh, kind of defend that one. I kind of liked it. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, Dances with Wolves is obviously the one that a lot of people go to. I found that one incredibly boring, but that that one I think should have been called uh, Running Buffalo, not Dancing with Wolves, because there's lots more buffalo than wolves. Yes, absolutely. See, the only movie uh, of his entire filmography. Um, that I think I have actually watched from beginning to end was the Robin Hood movie. Yeah. And he which, was the least likable thing about the Robin Hood movie. Yeah, that was another film I think that would kind of fit right there along with uh, Waterworld, frankly. I, uh, I watched Tin Cup, but that was more for Rene Russo than for... <laughs> Uh, the bodyguard I thought was completely laughable. That was so over the top and ridiculous. See, I'm not even a field of dreams guy. Like, yeah, I take it back. There's one that I have seen all the way through, and again, not for him. Bull Durham. Oh, there you go. The Untouchables. I know I watched that one at some point. Oh, Silverado. There you go. He was in Silverado. <laughs> I love Silverado. <laughs> And now that I think about it, I, I've seen The Untouchables, but honestly, I forgot he was Elliot Ness. <laughs> yep. Because I remember Sean Connery in that. Let's see what a few other people thought about this one. I think, I don't know if there's anything else. We, 
if we keep talking about it, I'm afraid we're just going to really start really trying to rip it, and I I don't want to do that. No, but. not sure. I'm not trying to do that. It, it's still watchable. You, if you're into that kind of thing, it, you can take something away from it. But it, there was there was way more in there than we got out of it. <laughs> like yes. you, it, it could have been so much better than it was. All right, well, let's jump into the social media. Uh, we don't have as much as we've had in the last couple uh, episodes. That might, that might be because I forgot to post that what we'd be watching. I didn't post a trailer or anything until just a few days before recording. So, my mistake. <laughs> it happens. But over on the Discord server, from Matt, he says, I have the pleasure of having seen this movie far too young, so I liked it because I didn't know any better. I know it's bad, really bad. It takes way too long to tell a story and gets sidetracked so many ways. It really wanted to show you the details of the world and the dangers of fossil fuel, but it did none of it justice. But I was 11 when I saw it, so I just remember good times from all the action. And and maybe at 11 the action's good, but honestly, as a uh, middle-aged man watching the action, it could be a lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, on Facebook, uh, Chris Page, uh, no relation, <laughs> says, Not really the failure it's made out to be. That's not claiming it did gangbuster business, but I, but it found its success. If it really has any flaw is that if you remove its setting, we've seen this story a hundred times, but that's not to say it's not entertaining. I guess we could poke fun at the science that even if everything melted, a lot of continents would still exist. Or how many years was it supposed to have been? Is it really long enough for a man to have gills and webbed feet and hands? But there's so much else that is entertaining and fun. We could have just read that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on that, yeah, when it, it, the initial release in the theaters, I think it did not make its budget back, but it did end up being successful through uh, repeated viewings and the home video market. Yeah. It did eventually recoup its budget. Uh, Dre Peters says, I saw in the theater and enjoyed it. Just saying. (laughs) Charlie Chase, I love it. With like five exclamation points. And from the rating room, I really enjoyed this. Used to have this on DVD. Big fan of Kevin Costner films. Recently watched the extended version of Dances with Wolves. Bit surprised Waterworld has a 45% tomato meter and a 43% audio score. Talking about over on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I'm more surprised the scoring is consistent. Thought the audience score would be in the 60s. Yeah, well, I think you liked it a little bit more than most everybody else. Yeah, and I, I have to argue with the scoring. The music was just driving me insane. It was so unremarkable that I couldn't even tell you what it sounded like. It seemed a little upbeat for what was supposed to be a post-apocalyptic world. Gotcha. All right. Uh, But the Rating Room, still a fun podcast. They have just uh, put their... uh, I told you they were going through all the James Bond films in order. I think they just posted their Octopussy, so they're up that far. So good stuff to come. Uh, Cameron Sullivan, he says the Blu-ray Extended is a must. So I'm thinking maybe that will have to be at some point. I'll have to dig that one up. Yeah. And Billy Flynn says it's Waterworld. Most people try to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, that's our social media. So not quite as robust as in 
the ep in episodes past. But thank you, everybody, for your comments. They're much appreciated. Shall we hear from the experts? Yeah, what did you find with the experts? I'm... I am very curious. <clears throat> I can't wait to get to uh, my good pal Roger Ebert because um, um, that's what I'll round this out with. Uh, but uh, looking up uh, the variety of stuff that is available and once again thwarted by the wonderful 404 re-air by, by so many papers, um, shockingly did better um, overall than I was expecting. Um this is the only cl clip I've got out of Newsweek is from David Anson. Uh, he just said, uh, pretty damn good summer movie. That was the gist of it. Um, then we, out of USA Today, we get Mike Clark. A two-hour aquatic pursuit pick with bruising stunts, fun-to-watch performances, a dozen good chortles, and imposing Panavision renderings of post-apocalyptic crud. Waterworld clearly has the makings of a cult movie. And I I would say that's probably kind of accurate-ish. I think there is probably a crowd that considers it a cult classic. Sure. I don't think that's universal. <laughs> I, I, I then love, uh, who gave it a decent rating, but uh, Michael Wilmington from Chicago Tribune. Waterworld is often entertaining because it's screwy. Could even Ed Wood Jr. have come up with those cigarette-puffing villains in a world hardly enough dirt for a tobacco plant? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, before I get to Roger, I'll come all the way down here to uh, from Reader, uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum. <laughs> Love this. This movie feels like it was made by a bank rather than a person <laughs> and, and with its 200 million dollar price tag in 1995 you do kind of feel like let's throw a lot of money at a whole bunch of things that should normally get people to watch a movie but don't have any coherence yeah but then my buddy roger ebert uh, over on his site um I'm going to read a little bit from him because this is uh, good stuff. So here it is at last. Waterworld. Two years and 200 million in the making. In the old days in Hollywood, they used to brag about how much a movie cost. Now they apologize. There's been <laughs> so much publicity about this movie's budget that a review of the story seems beside the point. I should just print the spreadsheets. <laughs> The cost controversy aside, Waterworld is a decent futuristic action picture with some great sets, some intriguing ideas, and a few ideas that will stay with me. It could have been more, it could have been better, and it could have made me care about the characters. It's one of those marginal pictures you're not unhappy to have seen, but can't quite recommend. Uh, and then I'm just going to hit this last point that he makes, because this just follows with what we've been talking about. He mentions, I would have welcomed more of those details about the global floating culture that Mariner is part of. But like so many science fiction movies, this one bypasses the best possibilities of the genre. Instead of science and speculation, we get a lot of violent action scenes. So... 
Yeah, I, they set up a world that you wanted to learn about, and we didn't get to learn anything about it. Right. So, uh, he gave it a two and a half stars for, for its troubles, so not his worst yeah. rating. No, absolutely not. And I probably definitely would agree with almost everything he said. I mean, it technically and you know cinematically, it looks amazing. I mean, it really fits. This film may be the most... Um, representative of the theme of this year. Mm-hmm. It looks pretty. Right. It, it looks absolutely amazing. And our copy wasn't great. I can only imagine what it might actually look like for its Blu-ray release. Oh, yeah. Or can you imagine seeing this actually on the big screen? Yeah. On a cl- nice, clean cut. Yeah, because ours had some light fluctuations in it as we were watching. Despite all the money and all the the, the flash and the bang, or, or it had all the flash and none of the bang. <laughs> I guess is what it really boils down to. It was it was lightning without thunder. I mean, there's just it was missing the substance that really made it good. Yeah. It's just okay. Yeah, and that and that gets to the heart of our, our year in review. Here is um, at the time the most expensive film of its of its era, $200 million didn't buy quality. No, no, it, you obviously, I mean, we were talking like, well, where did the budget go? Well, went to building some really great sets, apparently twice. Yes. <laughs> and it went to a lot of stunt work. And, and it went, and I'm sure a lot of that just went to some basic logistics. Uh, like we talked about at the top of the conversation, trying to make a, a like, Today, you make that movie, you would do that with CGI. And, and But they had to do this actually out on the water and yeah. make it convincing that they weren't a couple miles from land. So that took a lot of effort. Can you like you can't even just set up a trailer for somebody to go and chill till their next scene. You're all out on boats. That is not a cheap thing to do. <laughs> No, no, it's uh, yeah. So yeah, just the fact that it got made at all is just astonishing, mm-hmm. and so for that alone, yeah, it deserves some credit. Yes. But yeah, unfortunately, just story wise and as an adventure action film, it just left me wanting a lot more. Yeah, no, it could have been so much more than it was, and it it didn't go in those directions. No. Well, I think that is going to do it for Waterworld. Uh, next episode, next full episode, we are going to jump back into the uh, pulp superhero turned major motion picture genre. We we took a break. We, we we talked about the shadow a few weeks ago. We took a little break here, going into Waterworld next week. <laughs> shadow is Tom's personal favorite. Next episode, we're donning our purple tights. And slam an eagle because we're going to be watching 1996's The Phantom. Oh my God, he'll just be too much during the entire conversation. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. You know, it's not like I really need an excuse to rewatch this film, but I'm really excited to have an excuse to rewatch this film. Uh, folks, I, I'm going to lay money that he watches it more than I watch The Shadow prior to, <laughs> to our conversation. <laughs> I got in two viewings before we did that. 
I'm going we to shall three. see. Three. Uh, we shall see. I've definitely got time. I, I, I may do. I don't know. We'll see. He might watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to this. Is uh, absolutely this is a kind of um, a favorite of mine. Guilty I've always enjoyed this film. You love this one. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be fun to talk about. And um, yeah, that'll be in a, in a couple of weeks. So we look forward to you guys joining us. If you have any thoughts on this film or any thoughts on The Phantom, please drop us an email at timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or follow the link in the show notes to all their social media outlets and uh, leave your comments there. would really love to hear from you. Until that, uh, that's going to do it. So, uh, yeah, stay dry, everybody. <laughs> we'll talk to you in a, in a couple weeks. Bye. See ya.